Okay? So, let's pray. We can get back into this, but I want to get moving. Okay, Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you would open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, I pray that we would seek you. I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to be in relationship with the one who is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of your glory, the word of God, who was God and who was with God from before the foundations of the earth. I want to spend time at your feet this morning, listening to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, being formed into your image as I am predestined to be. Love you, Jesus. Okay, so all I'm saying is you guys, especially those of you that grew up in church, you have a whole bunch of ideas that you've heard people teach, but you didn't go check it out. Not really. You didn't go. You didn't dig into scripture. You didn't look. Okay, where is this? Because if you did, there's a whole lot of things. For instance, this one's going to be really fun. Are you ready for this one? Are you ready for this one? This is one that I've been struggling with and wrestling with now for several, for a couple months. And it's this. What do we know about what happens immediately after we physically die? What does the Bible say about what happens? Right then. No, that's New Testament stuff. It's New Testament stuff, but we don't know that that has anything to do with us. That was a parable that Jesus told. We don't even know if he meant us to take it literally. <laughs> Maybe he did, but we don't know that he did. And so, okay. Let me say this. There are two things. The Bible talks a heck of a lot about the resurrection from the dead. The Bible talks a heck of a lot about what's going to happen after the resurrection from the dead. But prior to the resurrection from the dead, the Bible, there's only really two things. There's only really two scriptures. And that's not really enough to build any, any kind of dogmatic teaching of Christianity about. Okay? There's only two scriptures. One, Jesus... When Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay. Do we know what that means? <laughs> no. We don't know what that means. In fact, the word paradise is a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. And the Greek idea of paradise is a very weird, very hedonistic, very not biblical idea. So we don't think Jesus, we think Jesus was just using words that this particular thief would understand. Okay. If indeed he was speaking to the thief in Greek, which he may not have been, and it may have just been translated for us by the gospel writer, but let's just keep moving. We look up the definition in our book. Paradise? Yeah. We sure. Have, we have <laughs> if you want, I, I can do it right now. I don't even need the Strong's Concordance. I mean, a physical Strong's Concordance. I will pull it up for you. Right here on Bible Hub. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bible Hub's got a concordance. Oh, yeah. 
Bible Hub? What's Bible Hub? Bible Hub has several concordances on it. What is Bible Hub? BibleHub.com. Um, is a, by the way, the verse that I'm looking at is Luke 23, verse 43. The way that you, the easiest way to use the concordance in Bible Hub is to pull up one of the versions that has the Strong's numbers built into it. And then you can go and you can just hover over the word and see, or click on the word and go directly to the concordance entry. Okay, and he said to him, truly I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. Okay. Paradisos, a park, a garden, a paradise. Noun, masculine, paradise. Okay, word origin is an enclosure. Okay, among, among the Persians, a grand enclosure or... or Preserve, hunting ground, park, shady and well-watered, in which wild animals were kept for the hunt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, in Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul used the same word to refer to the third heaven. That's good to know. Um, in Revelation, chapter 2, uh... It talks about which is in the paradise of God. I'm not sure. We'll have to go look that verse up in particular because it's not. No, don't do that to me. Give me the verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So it's obviously referring to a place where the where the tree of life is. We don't really know what that means. But okay, but the other one is, the other verse is the verse that says uh, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's, that's the other verse. So do we have anything to worry about? No. But do we have any idea what's really going to happen? No. And we don't get to, <laughs> we're going to be with the Lord. It's going to be paradise. That's, I'm happy with those two things. That's good. We're good. Right? We don't, but we don't know anything about that paradise. That is not the new Jerusalem that's described in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Okay? The new Jerusalem is a place where the resurrected saints live. It's not going to be a place for, that's not the same thing as paradise necessarily. Okay? Apparently there's a tree of life there. We're happy about that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay? The apostle Paul was caught up. To the third heaven, and he called that paradise, and so he was there. Okay. You said if we if we died now, we we wouldn't know what to expect. Like we can only expect what we know from like what's described. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Now, are there people that have died and 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 had an experience and then come back and talked about it? Yes, but is that scripture? No. No. Do I love the book Heaven Is Real? I do. I cry through the whole stinking thing. I'm just a mess. I, I cried through the children's book version of it because they have like a children. And I'm just like going through it. I'm just like, <laughs> and my wife was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I just, I, I want to go home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
Okay, but but see, we have all of these things, okay? Now, I want you to think of all of the other ideas that you have connected to the idea of what's immediately after your physical death. And I want you to realize that none of those came from Scripture. Or if they did, they were misapplied because all of the, like, the, the streets of gold. I was just about to Streets of gold, New Jerusalem. Pearly gates, New Jerusalem. Okay? A place that's been prepared for us. No, no night. New Jerusalem. When Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many mansions, if I had okay. New Jerusalem. Oh. All right. Possibility we have to wait an extended amount of time for New Jerusalem. Right. Apparently, we won't be there until the the resurrection from the dead. She's a... No, no, no. I do not say that. Purgatory is not to be found in Scripture at all. Where do, where do the Catholics get the whole idea about purgatory? Do they get it from Enoch? It's not Enoch. No, it's not an Enoch. Purgatory comes from some visions that people had, experiences that people had of the afterlife, etc. Or you know, maybe they had some kind of vision of Jesus or the or Mary or something where he, they were told, oh, by the way, you know. Uh, you you can't go straight to heaven because you still have a whole lot of sin. So you got to spend some time in the eternal car wash that is purgatory until you're squeaky clean, and then you can go so to heaven. Okay, like if you're like Catholic or whatever, so they believe like if you're like naughty, you know, you're gonna go straight to hell. But like if you're like gonna go to heaven, you're like okay, you need to get cleansed some more, and then you go to heaven. Pretty much. Huh? But they wouldn't say. In fact. Uh, the official Catholic thing, I just heard someone talk about this today on my way here. Because I told you, I'm studying this. I'm trying to, I want to learn, what does the Bible really say about end time issues? For instance, this is a really another really interesting one. I want you to search all of, all of the sermons in the book of Acts. Okay? And of any other recorded sermons of the apostles in the New Testament, and I want you to look for one reference, even one, to what happens after you die. Okay? My point is this. They preached the gospel without talking about heaven or hell. The gospel was about here. The gospel was about now. The gospel was about immediate. It was about the kingdom of heaven here, now. And we've put it into this place where we think, well, the kingdom of heaven is like way out there. But that is not what Jesus taught, and that is not what the apostles taught. They taught the kingdom of heaven is here, it is now, it is in us, and we are carrying it around with us in this moment. Okay? That's pretty massive shift of the of the way we think, is it not? I mean, because we're constantly thinking like, well, you know, okay. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The problem, yeah, go ahead. Um, in the Korean text, it was like talking about like the kingdom of heaven and how like it's like in our hearts first and like how it lives in us and then like it comes to physical formation when Jesus comes back. Is that, is that right? Yeah, ish. Ish. <laughs> no, I agree with that fully, wholeheartedly. Okay. I, I do. What yeah, what I'm because, but I think there's there is more. We we need to come to an understanding that we have already 
We are already right now in this moment because we are followers of Jesus, because we are choosing to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, because we stand under the forgiveness and the, and the, and the blood of Jesus. We are currently in this moment participating in the kingdom of heaven, releasing the kingdom of heaven on the face of the earth. And I think the more we understand that, the more of the kingdom of heaven will be released through us on the earth at this moment. That everywhere that we go all the time with each other and with people that do not yet understand this, we are participating in the kingdom of heaven. We are walking in it and we are releasing it everywhere that we go. And I think we've got to get that. I think we have to understand it. I think we've got to begin to move beyond because so much of the church has like, was that me again? No, that's my phone. (sighs) Praise the Lord. So much of the church has taken the things of God and kind of put them off. Well, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to reflect the character and nature of Jesus after I've been, after I've died and been resurrected. Okay, and will you more fully reflect the character and nature of Jesus at the time? Yes, you will, because you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. You will be completely, totally, utterly transformed, body, soul, and spirit, into the image of the Son of God. But that is not, and, and, and we don't have that yet, but that doesn't mean we aren't being transformed right now. It doesn't mean we aren't in a process in this moment, and we need to raise the bar. For our expectations, we are capable, we are capable here and now of manifesting the character and nature of Jesus in this moment with each other, with the lost. And that includes his miracle working power. That includes uh, the way Jesus thinks, the way Jesus feels, the way Jesus lived in the world. And we kind of like put those things off or like say that those are for later or that those are just for the really holy people. You don't understand what's at work in you. And the more that we, the, the, the more we kind of separate ourselves from the idea that Jesus is alive and working in this moment, the, the less of him will, we will see the less of him that we'll experience and the less of him, the world that we are in We are in this world to change it. And we won't change it unless the kingdom of heaven is manifest in and through us every moment. Are you with me on this? All right, let's get to Philippians 1. All I'm trying to say is, please, get into the word. Do the research. Dig this stuff up. Don't believe anything just because some teacher, including Josh Hawkins, tells it to you. Go after this stuff in Scripture. Find out what it says, because the church has, from the beginning, been misinterpreting Scripture. And every generation has a different part of Scripture that it misinterprets. It's true. But for hundreds of years, the church interpreted the stuff in Acts chapter 2 as, oh, that stuff just happened during the time of the, of the apostles. Oh, all those gifts of the Spirit that it talks about in 1 Corinthians, 
that's all that's all stuff that's the perfect has come meaning the word of god oh my gosh so we don't need that stuff anymore and then somebody i don't even know who it was somebody a little over a uh, 117 years ago said hey wait a minute this 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 doesn't sound like I don't I don't really see here in here anywhere where it says these gifts of the spirit are for that time and not for this. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe I should be asking God for these. And so people all over the world begin to ask God for the return of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And after that that kind of, that prayer movement, that seeking, that 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 those group that group of people who got hungry for these things that the Bible says we should be experiencing, but we're not. Eventually, there was this incredible, that they started experiencing these things. And it was, it was one here, one there, one here, two there. Somebody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and everybody's like, wow! But that was like one person in an entire congregation until... William Seymour becomes pastor of this tiny little church in California on a street called Azusa Street. And God began to pour out his spirit in unprecedented measure. And everyone, the entire church, began to speak in tongues and prophesy and see healings and see miracles. And they began to realize, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And now, a little over 100 years later... The Pentecostal slash charismatic movement on the face of the earth, the ones that were reclaiming the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is the largest and fastest growing segment of Christianity in the world. But not only that, it's the fastest growing religion in the world. Okay, we went from maybe 15 people being baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. In 100 years, we went to something like 500 million people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. That's 100 years. And I remember the first time I read those, those numbers, and I was just like, wow. And the Holy Spirit landed on me like a thousand tons of bricks. Like It was just like, and he said to me, this is what he said to me. It shook me. I literally fell out of my chair in my office downstairs. <laughs> and I was laying on the floor just going, ah, like, oh. And then... You know, uh, Timothy McCain. Any of you know Timothy? Pastor yeah. Timothy? He like kind of like sticks his head in like, are you okay? And I was just like, no. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit said this. If you think last the last hundred years were incredible, wait for the next hundred years. Uh. And I was just like, <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> ah, this is going to be great. I'm so excited to be alive right now. Anyway. Let me ask you, well. My youth pastor used to put it this way. I've been thinking a lot about him because we started a Facebook group where everybody from my youth group has started posting pictures from that era. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. And he used to say, you should be honored to live in this generation because, as any good coach knows, you put your best players in at the end of the game. And And I'm like... Hey, wow, that means me. Like, <laughs> 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 But anyway, okay. 
It's exciting, isn't it? Are you excited? Now, Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> that was for free. <laughs> oh, it's good. All right. Uh, we ended last week on, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. How does he feel about them? Um, he says, he offer, verse 4, I always offer prayer with joy and every prayer for you all in view of your petition and the gospel until now. Okay, so he really, he loves them a lot. And he says, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. This is an interesting verse. Okay. I have you in my heart. Why? Because in my imprisonment, in the defense of the gospel, in the confirmation of the gospel, you have been partakers of grace with me. Okay? He says, I have you in my heart. Again, it's that close connection that Paul has with this church. This is obviously one of his favorite churches. If you read some of the other letters that he writes to some of the other churches, and then you read this one, you're going to be like, wow, Paul, you really had favorites. Because the other churches, he's kind of like, guys, you are my headache. I love you, but you drive me crazy. So I, it's just like, he just wants, just several times he just wants to throw up his hands. You know, he says, Kind of mean things. I mean, to the Galatian church, he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay, like, so, so, like, uh, the Corinthian church, he's like, why do I have to come and fix all of your problems? Okay, <laughs> Philippian church, he's like, I have you in my heart. <laughs> so there's a difference. Okay, okay obvious. All right. Because I have you in my heart. Since both, okay, so he says, in my imprisonment, they sent Epaphroditus to minister him. That's Philippians 2 25. We'll read that. Is that guy with that awesome name? Epaphroditus. They had sent, so they heard he was, they heard he was imprisoned and they wanted him to be taken care of. So they, they raised money and, and stuff and they gave it to Epaphroditus and they sent Epaphroditus to Rome and said, take care of our, of dad. That's what they did. So they were with him in, his imprisonment, they supported him financially. They helped him when he went before the courts to make a defense of the gospel. Okay, they sent him like his books, his study materials, because they knew he was going to be going in front of the in front of the uh, the imperial court, and he was going to be making a defense of the gospel to the Romans. And they said, "Well, you're going to need your stuff. You know, you're going to need to be able to prepare." He didn't have any of that stuff with him in prison. Okay, this isn't you know they didn't have a prison library. Even if they did, the, the, you know, okay. So they have helped him in every single way. And that's why he's going, guys, I love you so much. You have made it, all of this possible. And then he says this phrase, which is fascinating to me. You are all partakers of grace with me. Okay. And here's, you're partakers of grace with me. Hear that. Hear Paul. Okay. Did he say, you're good little children. You did such a good job. Way to go. No. He said, 
See, God's at work in you. You, The fact that you did this for me tells me that the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you. He didn't say, you're just better than all the other churches. No, what he said was, it's obvious the Holy Spirit's at work in you. It's obvious you have partaken of grace because you did these things. Okay, These actions were evidence of the grace that was at work in the lives of the people and were a promise of future reward. A piece of Paul's ministry was put in their ledger in heaven. This is what's going on. Okay, The Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of the Philippian people nudged them to do this for Paul, and so they did. And Paul is going, see, evidence. Evidence! Now, i got to tell you, I am always looking for evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. I had somebody from my church post something on Facebook yesterday that I'm still going, what? <laughs> she said, how come I don't see the Holy Spirit in any, in any believers? And I'm like, now, thankfully, we had this awesome elder lady in our church just posted. She's like, I see it everywhere. Some of us are growing faster than others. Some of us have a little bit better grip on it, but I see God doing amazing things in the hearts of believers all over the place. And I'm just like, that means I don't have to write that because I agree with her. Don't agree with this, this person who was being kind of negative about the church. Like, why don't, why don't I see the evidence of the Holy Spirit? I see the evidence everywhere, and we should be looking for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in one another, and we should recognize it. We should do like Paul did. Hey, you're a partaker of grace too. Because guess what? If I was left to my own devices, I would not be helping Paul. I would not be partaking. I would not be doing. But I have grace that I have partaken of. The gift of God. The good works that we do, the times we get it right, they didn't come from you. It came from God. The times that you got it right, it wasn't that you were like, Hey, I'm, I'm minding my P's and Q's. I got this one right this time. No! No! You did it right because you finally got out of the way of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and the Holy Spirit became evident through you in that moment. You partook of grace in that moment, and it was obvious to Paul. Does this make sense to everybody? It is so easy. We love to like pat ourselves on our back, on the back when we do something right. Oh, I just I'm I'm really happy that I did that so well. I'm so happy about my humility that that was a joke, folks. It's, 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 but that's what we do. We do exactly that. I'm so proud of my humility. We do exactly that when God does something beautiful in and through us. We kind of point at ourselves and go. And go, hey, I did a good job. No, you didn't. It was God working in you. And you need to be really, really sure of that. You need to be really, really aware. So when people come to me and they're like, hey, Pastor Josh, that was a great sermon. Okay, if they say that to me, I usually respond with, thank you. God is really good. Because that's exactly what I mean. If they heard something that was helpful to them, if you hear something that's helpful to you in this class, it's not because Josh Hawkins is an amazing guy. No, please. No. It just means that in this instance, I got out of the Holy Spirit's way enough that he was able to come through this filter and touch you. I didn't do it. In fact, 
I really got in the way most of the time. Why God chooses to use me at all, I will never know. This is one of the one of my the primary questions that I will have for God when we get, you know, when when I ask him this all the time now, but I'm hoping for a face to face, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. just be like, so Jesus, help me understand this. You could have sent the archangel Michael, or forget, we don't even have to go that high. Let's just, you know, like not even an archangel let's just call him angel third class joe bob okay he could have shown up there's like an angel in this room named joe bob and he's just like offended (laughs) (laughs) high five joe bob okay he could have sent the lowest of the angels to sit in this chair and taught you correctly and he would have done it without mistakes. And plus, he's an angel, so you would like be like... <laughs> I mean, that's all, that's all he has to do. It's just kind of... He could have done that, but that's not what he did. He sent me. Okay? He sent me. To me, I feel like a really bad replacement for, for that angel. Jesus doesn't feel that way. I don't, maybe he does. Maybe he's like, you're right. I should have sent an angel. You know, next time I'm just going to do that. (laughs) I don't think that you know, but God chooses to use human beings to do what he wants to do. And there's a million, my, my big question is why? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest. And every reason that I've ever had anybody come up with or that I've come up with or that I've found, you know, that I found, you know, a slight answer in scripture, I'm still going, I mean, that kind of helps, but it's still not quite enough. Not to mention the fact that God is omnipresent, so he could have just done it himself. Okay, there could just be a disembodied voice in the room right now. Hi, IMC. <laughs> Hello, Lord. <laughs> Let's have Bible study. Well, no one better to teach us the Bible than you, Lord. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe it was the laundry that God was worried about, you know? Just all the times people would be themselves... I doubt it. Anyway, we would probably get to the place where if we didn't pee ourselves, we didn't feel like it was a good service. <laughs> I, I don't know. The church today wasn't that great. I, mean, I didn't even pee myself. No, we all come to church in Depends. My Depends were dry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about like because we talk about that like not an eye was dry in the house you know it's like not a depends were dry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to hell probably. Okay, um, no, but like. I honestly, I I believe there's a lot of reasons why. One, God likes doing this with me. He likes doing this with you. 
he, he, he really likes you, and he knows that he's powerful enough to move around you. <laughs> and so he wants to do this with you. Just like I like to do things with my kids, even though they're going to make the job five times harder. Um, he likes that there's that, and that makes me feel good. But then there's also, there's got there's probably more to it than that. But in this, not only do you get to be a partakers of grace, by hearing, I get to be a partaker of grace by teaching. And so being a part of teaching this class is a gift to me. It's a gift to me. I also get to get to know some of God's favorite people, and that's pretty exciting to me too. But this is a gift to me. To get to be involved in something Jesus is doing, that's exciting for me. I enjoy it. So we are all partakers of grace. And whenever we do anything for him, that is a gift that God's given you to be able to do it, to be able to give. If the day ever comes when you begin to feel like your work for God is a chore or is a difficulty or it's like you roll your eyes like, oh, why do I have to do this? You need to realign. In fact, just do God a favor and stop. The day that you say to yourself or anybody else, boy, God is really lucky to have me on his team. <laughs> just quit. You're not doing anybody any favors. When ministry is about you, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the people you're ministering to. And you are, and the Lord is not happy. We could go into signs, five signs that ministry is about you. Maybe I should write that blog post. <laughs> and what you should do about it, okay? <laughs> I don't mind offending people every now and then. If it's worth it. Just offending offending people for no reason. But if I'm speaking the truth and they get offended, it's worth it. If I'm just saying something offensive, that's not worth it. <laughs> okay. According to Karl Marx, worth is just placed on how much time put into it. Stop reading Karl Marx. Um <laughs> I mean, I, he's an atheist. I, I didn't read him because I enjoy him. I read him because I kind of despise the man. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying it's. I wouldn't. I wouldn't read Karl Marx. I actually read the man. Besides, it's gonna it's, it's gonna get you in trouble with the church because having a socialist mindset at all in any way, shape, or form in the American church equals backsliding but that's and I'm, I'm being sorry I'm being I'm being sarcastic I'm, I'm being very sarcastic because you know if you wanted to vote for Bernie Sanders you are obviously not saved for those of you listening to the podcast I'm shaking my head okay <clears throat> I'm not saying I'm for Bernie Sanders. I should probably say that on the on the internet. I'm just saying 
people and their political views and Jesus was not a Republican. Can I say that really loudly yes, right now? Yes, Jesus yeah. is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat either, but he's not a Republican. Okay, let's keep moving. <laughs> Jesus would have defied political party. And if you stand with Jesus, you're going to defy political party as well. You're not going to be okay with either one. And you're just going to be confused. Not confused, but frustrated like I was this last, this last elective. What? Anarcho-Christian. <sighs> The word anarchy is a a scary word to me. Jesus is not for anarchy. Jesus is not a libertarian either. No, he's not a libertarian either. Jesus belongs to no political party. And there are people that love Jesus in pretty much every political party. Except for the Green Party. There's no people that love Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) There are people that love Jesus in all those parties. And guess what? They still love Jesus. Let's just put that out there. Can I do that? Okay, they're smart, passionate lovers of Jesus in all of the different political parties. And just because you disagree with that statement doesn't mean you're correct. Um, verse 8. Let's move on before I get myself in real trouble. <laughs> for God is my witness how long, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All the affection of Christ Jesus. Okay, I did some research on this. And it literally means all the bowels or inward parts of Christ Jesus. Nice. That's that's what it means. (laughs) I just think that's awesome. Okay. I long for you all with the bowels of Jesus. We don't think about Jesus' bowels often enough. He pooped, though. Jesus did poop. (laughs) He did. You need to know that. So, no, but what, in in Paul's culture, the word bowels or inward parts, this word is the same way we used heart. It's the same way. You know, we don't, when we say, I love you with all my heart, we don't meet our, our you know, our muscle that, that is constantly, you know, our, all of our muscle, my all of my cardiac muscle and valves love you. No, that's not what we mean. Okay. You know, all of my, all of my large intestine loves you. Um, it's not. Oh God, can we stop? All right. Can we just quit? I love you with all of my bowels. I remember Mark Lowry talked about this in one of his early comedy things, and he was talking like, you make my liver quiver, you know? Like, you're right in the middle of my intestinal tract. I mean, it's just not... But anyway, the idea is... The heart of Jesus, okay? The emotions of Jesus. I think affection is a good translation. Um, the emotions of Jesus. And the reason I bring this up, the reason I, I pull this out, number one, I think that's funny. But two, the Apostle Paul, listen to what he says. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's not even talking about his own affections anymore. He's literally saying Jesus has taken his fiery heart for you out of his own chest and put it in mine. 
that I love you more than my than the than than Paul is able to love someone. I love you with the love of Jesus. When I was a kid, there was this old song. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. You guys, anybody? No, no. Pastor Barry would know this song. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Okay, and we used to have, they used to, I can see him in you, the spirit of my king, and I love you with the love of the Lord. So, uh, what, do they? See, that's a beautiful thing. Anyway, the idea is this, and we need to get a hold of this. He carried the affections of Christ in his heart. And this is my prayer. I want to love with your love, Jesus. My love is weak. My love is fickle. My love is transitory. My love is on one day and off the next. But when I love you with the love of Jesus, which is unstoppable, will not quit, won't turn around, does not get frustrated, it's patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it does not, okay? When I love you with his love, my love for you is a whole lot better than when I love you with mine. And when we begin to pray for people, when we begin to encounter people, we need to ask Jesus for his heart for that person. Because here's the deal. There's a whole lot of human beings that when I first encounter them, I'm like, I do not like this person. I do not like him, Sam I am. I do not like it. I, I, and it is easy for me. It is easy for any human being to come in contact with another human being and, like, and be like, I don't like you. And I don't want to spend time with you. And I don't want to do anything nice for you. Hey. And then, that's, okay, I'm... I told you I would always be honest with you, and I am being honest with you. Have you not felt that way? You've probably felt that way about someone in this room. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. You're not called to love them with your love. You're called to love them with the affections of Christ Jesus. And God has put these people in your way, in your life, in your ministry, right in front of your face, living in the same apartment with you because God wants you to learn to leave behind your ability to love and to step into his. There is a reason why you have the... the, the you are close to the people you are close to. There's a reason why every single person is that is in this room is in this room. And it's because the Lord wants to teach you to love that person. That person that is not like you, that does not like you, that you don't like. God wants you to learn how to rise above all of your internal traffic and connect with how Jesus feels about this person and step into his heart for them. Because here's the truth. As ministers of the gospel, as ambassadors of Christ, there are going to be days when you have no emotion left for them. There are going to be moments when you have no ability in your human self to minister to them. Okay, when it's your day off and you get that phone call, I need to talk to you. And you've got nothing left. Jesus has a lot left. And you need to step into what he has 
and out of what you have. Because the truth is, if you're ministering out of what you have, you're not giving them anything good anyway. We've got to let the affection of Christ be planted in us. We need to live in it. If you, if there are people you're having trouble liking, I want to challenge you to put them at the top of your prayer list. Because as you begin to pray for them, the heart of Jesus for them will be given to you, if you'll allow it, and you will begin to love them. One of my favorite uh, examples of this in my own life was there was this guy, he was a, a fellow youth leader, this is before I was a youth pastor, I was the worship leader in the youth group here at First Assembly, and there was this guy who was another leader, he was an intern of the youth pastor, and I just didn't like him. And I don't know why I didn't, I mean, I couldn't pinpoint why I didn't like him, he just bugged me. And whenever he was around, the worst of me would just come up, and I would say mean things, I would make really snarky, sharp jokes about at his expense. I, I'm serious. You know, like I was not nice to this person and I'm nice to freaking everybody. Okay. So, so it is, it was very, I mean, I, you normally, I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying I'm pretty good at being nice to people I don't like. I've learned how to do that. That's what, as a pastor's kid, you learn that fast. Am I wrong about that, ladies? Okay. <laughs> you learn how to be nice to people that you don't like very much or that you don't know. You also learn how to have conversations with people that you don't know what their name is, and they'll never know that you don't know. Okay. Big guy. Sis. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Ow. By the way, I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't know all your names right now, so if you know, just just come up to me, and be like, "Hi, I'm," and fill in the blank. So, because I do love you, I just don't know all your names. All right, so let's move on. What was I saying? Okay, this guy was just, and he was the same way. Like he was not being nice to me either. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. We went on a youth leader retreat. And I'd been particularly mean to him on the ride there. It was like a two-hour drive. And, and um, the Holy Spirit convicted me on the drive. And he's like, you're not. You've been horrible to this person. And I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. It's like, I, I want you to apologize to him. So I mustered up my whatever it takes. And I went over to him and I was just like, Hey, I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. I've been a jerk to you since the minute we met. I don't know why. Please forgive me. And he was like, yeah, you have been a jerk to me. <laughs> He's like, but then I've been a jerk to you also. And so I'm sorry. Just, you know, so we, we made up. Okay. I still didn't like him, but it was at least like we weren't being hostile towards each other. One week later, the Lord says to me, I, I, I had been praying for an accountability partner. Lord, give me an accountability partner. And then a week later, the Lord says to me, I want you to go and ask that guy to be your accountability partner. And I was like, all right, apologizing for the meanness I am okay with, but asking him to be like the person I tell my innermost secrets to, this is not cool. And the Lord's like, I, he is the one that's supposed to be your accountability partner. I was like, damn it. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to have that conversation with him, and then I get a phone call from him. Oh, 
And he says, I'm graduating from college and we're having this like dinner and I would like you and your wife to come. And I was like, why? <laughs> like that's what I was thinking. I didn't say that to him. I was like, wow, I'm honored. That, that'd be great. I'd, okay, I'll, I'll be there, you know, whatever. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why? We don't like each other. Like, you know, and I mean, come on. I was being, this was like a, it was an invite only kind of a thing. And he was inviting me and. I knew other people that he wasn't inviting, and I'm like, why are you asking me to be there? So we're at this thing, and he comes over to me, and he's like, I wanted you to be here because the Lord told me that you and I are supposed to be accountability partners. Oh, that's good. <laughs> right? Like, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I mean, really, because I'm just like, he told me that too. And this guy was like, Okay, so let's I let's do that. So <laughs> for the next couple years, he and I became really really close friends and we became like he's one of the best friends I've ever had. Right now he lives out of state so I hardly ever get to talk to him. But I honestly believe it's because the Lord gave me his heart for this man. And the other way, we became he became one of the primary encouragements to me in that season of my life. I don't, it was, he was very important to me during that stage, but that's not where it started. It started with dislike. The Lord shifted my emotions about for this man. And now I'm intensely grateful for the fact that he was in my life. So, yeah, I don't think any of you would know him because he's been gone that long, just looking at for so many people. Did you know Doug Joseph? I think so. Like, in the entire time you were talking about this, I was like, I was, I was searching my, my memory. He used to do, this is back when Jeff Olson was the youth pastor. So this is like four youth pastors ago. Because I was on the very, very beginning almost of Doug being here. So. Right. I probably heard of but him Doug was him Doug was baby. two youth pastors after Jeff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so the earliest youth pastor I remember was uh, Terry Stagg. Right, and Jeff was before him. Okay. Actually, they were on staff together for about a year, and then Jeff left. Yeah. See, so. I don't, yeah. yeah no, you, I'm sure you didn't. Anyway, yeah. So, Doug, I love you. Divine enablement to love supernaturally is where Paul was living for them. It's been given divine enablement to love them supernaturally. And my prayer is, Lord, give me this grace to love people supernaturally. Verse 9. And this I pray. Okay. Paul's prayers. I love Paul's prayers. Paul's prayers are so good. I pray Paul's prayers. I pray Paul's prayers. Paul prays Paul's prayers. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> I pray that Paul prays Paul's prayers. I pray the prayers of Paul. Okay? He had the greatest prayers. Okay? He always prays for what's going on inside people. The Apostle Paul, you don't find recorded in Scripture the Apostle Paul praying for Aunt Josephine's, you know kidney stone although I'm sure he would have prayed for that but in the recorded prayers of Paul he doesn't pray for external circumstance most of the time 
in the recorded prayers of Paul, he prays for their, the inward man. He prays for who they are. He prays for what they know. He prays for what they will see. Okay? He does not usually pray for their external circumstance, even when, and this wasn't the case with the Philippian church, but in other churches that were being persecuted by the Roman government at the time, Paul did not pray that they would be delivered out of persecution. <coughs> Paul prayed for who they were, not what they had, and not what was going on for them. He prayed about their relationship with Jesus. He prayed about their understanding of who Jesus was. He prayed about their enablement to step more fully into the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. But he did not pray for their external their external circumstance. Okay, I think that should tell us something. How much time do you spend praying for your external circumstance? And how much time do you spend praying for your internal? Now, should we not pray for external circumstance? I'm not saying that. We should. Jesus said, in, in the prayer he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's there. Okay, so praying for external things, such as provision, etc., and healing of the sick, and that, that is fine. That's good. We should do it. But we need to put as leech as leech, as least <laughs> as much emphasis on praying for the internal as we do for the external. At least as much emphasis. So, I don't know how you guys pray. I don't know how you're... How you're Prayer uh, time works. Um, at different times in my life, I have made lists. I don't always make lists. I don't always use lists. But when I do make lists, like if I'm just feeling sloppy in my prayer and like I'm not, or if I feel a call to spend more time praying specifically for people or things, I make sure to build this into the lists that I make. Okay? So when I'm praying for myself, okay, I will list a couple external things because those, that's fine. But I make sure I have at least as many internal things that I'm praying for and asking the Lord for, for myself. And a lot of times, I steal those prayer requests from the prayers of Paul. Because they're really good. Verse 9, And this I pray, okay, this is Paul's prayer for them, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, and having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay? That's his prayer for them. So we're going to break that down. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So he prays, that your love may abound. This is love for Christ. And it makes the most sense in this verse, but love for Christ cannot stand alone. It must be accompanied by love for men, people. And Paul knew that, so I think it is probably included. So, And the word here, your love, is the word agape. Okay, you need to understand that. 
There were multiple terms for love in the, in, in the New Testament. The Greek language did not just have one word, like we do, for this thing called love. Okay? They had multiple words. How many of you know what they were? Yeah. One more, and it has to do with physical love in particular. Somebody else got it? Huh? Eros. Yes, eros. Where it's where we get the word erotic comes from eros, okay? Eros was the name of that that's you guys have heard of Cupid, okay? Eros was his other name. Okay? So that's it literally means like sexual desire. That's what eros is. Okay? So, there's three kinds of love. Now we use that word. So, so when they were talking, they could walk up to guy, they could walk up to another guy and say, "I, I love you," and it not be like no homo. They didn't have to say that. Because <laughs> now if they walked up to a guy and said, "I eros you," then yes, then then it would be lots of homo. Okay, but but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you wouldn't say that. They would say, I, I, I phileo you, which means I love you like a brother. Okay, we have the word Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? That's because it's Philly and Delphia. Delphi is a, is a city, it means a town, okay, and, and phileo means brotherly love. Okay, so we have brotherly love. Anyway, and that's the word that you would use for a brother, a friend, a sister, is that, is that word. That's that kind of familial love, okay? But then above it all was agape, which is divine love, which means that is, and, and it only really describes love that comes from God and love that is God's. It means eternal. It means uh, unconditional. And it means unending. Okay, agape. And this is what the Apostle Paul is praying for. Let agape abound still more and more. Okay, so this is the love of God poured into our hearts for God and for each other. By the way, this is also the word that Jesus used when he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Agape, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And agape, your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. When Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him three times, is he saying, didn't he, did he say agape the first two times, and then the last time he says phileo? I think it's the other way. Okay, so I think it's phileo the first two times, and agape the last time. That's the beauty of the original language. <laughs> or I, I, I'll, I'll have to go back and look. Because it may be that Jesus said agape all three times. And Peter responds with, I phileo you. You know I phileo. <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, 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 but do you agape me? He's like, ah, I phileo. And he's like, but do you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. No. It meant a real thing. I mean, you'd, 
You didn't think about your love for your siblings or your love for your best friend. That's the love they were talking about. And that was that was an important thing. It was a powerful thing. It was a thing that was that we should have for each other. But when we're talking about our the love we should hold for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the love that we should hold for our Father in heaven, that is eternal, unconditional, unshakable, unending love for each other and for the Lord. Okay? This beautiful word agape. We gotta pay attention. Please pay attention to it in scripture. I would love it if there was a like a, a biblical translation that would do that for us, like somehow like change it so that we would know, oh I brotherly love you. <laughs> I love you with brotherly love. I love you with you know. Okay. I always, always I say this to my people at my church all the time. I tell them all the time. I love you. And it makes some of them very uncomfortable. Um, and it, 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 to be honest, it makes me a little uncomfortable as well, which is why I do it. I believe in using language to shift culture. I believe in using language to shift my own internal structure. So I use words that make me uncomfortable in order to push me towards a reality that I want. For instance, when I pray, most of the time, I call God Abba or Daddy. I think we talked about this last time. I call God Abba or I call him Daddy, and I do whichever one, or Papa sometimes. I use whichever one makes me feel the most like a kid at the time. Why? Because I want to feel like a kid crawling up on Daddy's lap to talk to him when I pray. I don't want to feel like the servant cowering before a master with a club over his head, which is my natural inclination when I'm talking to God. Okay, the world has filled me with that image of God as God as the mean guy with the mat with the you know the with the magnifying glass burning ants. You know that's the that's the picture that the world has given me of God. And that's why the world hates God, because they think of God as this, this mean guy that just wants to push me around. But if I think of God the way Jesus taught me to think of God, which is he's Papa, he's Daddy, that shifts the way I talk to him, that shifts the way I talk about him, and it changes the way that I see who I am. So I use words in my own life to shift the way I think about things. Because you think using words. You do, whether you know it or not. I think some people do. What? <laughs> I said, do babies think in gibberish? No, they don't have words. So they, so they just think, what they, just, they don't have a logical mind. They just have an emotional <laughs> mind, which is why everything is either like the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. <laughs> There's no such thing as just a chill baby. You know, babies are either like, wow, this is awesome! Ah, this is terrible! They're, 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 there's no, you know, they're, because that's all they have in their head is emotion. Just this swirl of color and emotion and whatever. They don't have words for things. When we begin to teach them language, what we're teaching them is specificity. What we're teaching them is incremental understanding and that there's guess what there's a middle there you don't have to live there or there 
but they when they experience something that supersedes their small vocabulary, they just go to ah! right because that's what they've got. They can't look at you and be like, "I'm hungry, mother." <laughs> right? That'd be nice. The baby just looked at you and said exactly what it wanted. I have poop in my pants. <laughs> Please fix that. Okay. I'm just picturing Benny. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just walking up. <laughs> Excuse me, mother. May I have some peas and carrots? <laughs> I would thoroughly enjoy a mixture of peas and carrots. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to I want to draw your attention to this to this thing. Paul is praying that their love may abound. Can I ask you a question? Is this the first thing you think about praying for people when you pray for them? Is this the first thing? Do you often ask God to teach you to love? It's the first thing off Paul's lips. When he's praying for this church, the first thing he thinks, the first thing, is not, Lord, help them build a bigger building. Lord, send more people to their Sunday morning meetings. Lord, bring in the finances. No. The first thing Paul thinks of, top of the list, top of his head, of the list in his head, Lord, I just pray you teach him to love. Teach this church to agape more and more and more and more. God, teach them to love. We got to start learning to pray in the right priority. And I would say this is the right priority because what did Jesus say? The first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God. Guess what? This is top of Jesus' priority list. This is what Jesus cares about more than anything else. Jesus wants you to love God. It's the first thing. He's not, you know, we kind of almost take it as a given. Well, they love Jesus. That is a bigger question. That is a bigger thing. That is more important than do they attend church? Do they whatever? What theology do they ascribe to? No, 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 no. Do they love? Do you love? Do you love God? And the second is like it because it should never be separated from it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? We've got to be praying that for the people of the church. You need to be praying that for yourself. That should be the first thing you ask God for when you wake up in the morning. Jesus, help me love you more. Jesus, help me love my fellow Christians more and the world more. I want to love more. Give me agape for them. I can't do it in myself. I don't have the ability to agape. We do not. In our human reality, do not have the ability to agape. So we need to be saying, Holy Spirit, be at work in me to agape. I'm asking you, change me, stir me, give me divine enablement to love God. Please, 
Ah, this has got to be. We've got to move this to the top of our prayer list. If it was this important to Jesus, because Jesus said it like this, he said, guess what? All the law and the prophets hang on this. If you just get this, it's all going to be okay. This is more important to Jesus than your statement of faith. This is more important to Jesus than anything else. It's more important to Jesus than whether you did your devotions today. It's more important to Jesus than any other thing is this one thing. We need to put our priorities in line with God's priorities. Do you love him? Do you love the people around you? One of my favorite movies is, is Moulin Rouge. Anybody know that movie? Yeah. Okay. And there's a, there's a song that's used in that movie. It's actually a Nat King Cole song from the 1950s called Nature Boy. Okay. And he says there's this line in the song that just haunts me. And the reason it haunts me is because it's true. The greatest thing you will ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. That is the truth. And we need to be a people who are pursuing love. And when we pray for each other, we need to pray for each other. Father, I pray that they, you would enable them to love you more than they love you now. Father, I pray that you would enable them to love others more than they love them now. Father, teach this person to love. That is the best prayer you can pray for anyone. And we kind of, I don't know where we would put, I don't think it even enters our brain to pray for people about that. But we should. The Apostle Paul does, and this isn't the only prayer that the Apostle Paul prays this in. We've got to get our heads wrapped around this reality. Okay, I'm going to move on. I think I've beaten that horse long enough. Then he says, in real knowledge and all discernment. That their love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, how are those things connected? Okay. The word knowledge here is epinosis. It means experiential knowledge. And this is... I, uh, again, we're hampered by the English language because we only have one word for to know, K-N-O-W. We only have one word for that. And we have to add <laughs> words to it to help us understand what that means. Okay, but this word in the Greek, experiential knowledge, it means it, it, it's the same word they would use for someone who it has had sex with someone else. Okay? 
It's the nice way of saying it. Like, they know each other. They have experiential knowledge of one another. Okay? The other, another way that it would be used is like, oh, I know that town because I lived there for 20 years. So I know it. I've been up and down every street. I've seen every corner. I know that town. I know that place. It means having explored and almost memorized the features of that place. It's the, the people you've known for 20 years. Those are the people that you would use this word for. I know Preston Simmons. Because he and I have been in deep conversation many, many, many times since he was, you know. Okay. That's this word, epinosis. Means to know deeply, to know intimately, to have experiential knowledge of. Okay? And again, remember, he's praying this both for the way that they love God and the way that they love each other. So he's saying, give them experiential knowledge of you, God, that we would taste and smell and touch the living God and that experience of him would birth fiery passion on the inside of us, that we would know God. So he's saying, Father, teach them to love you by letting them know you. Okay, there's a whole other kind of knowledge that we use the same word for, and that is the knowledge of a fact, mental assent to a fact, like 2 plus 2 is 4. I know that that's true. 2 plus 2 is 4. I know that. That's a fact that's in my head. That is a different kind of knowledge than the knowledge that he's talking about here. And I think as a church, we love to give people facts about God, but have they had an experience of him? We love to fill people's minds with knowledge and facts about God, and that's fine and that's good. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But if we don't tell them that beyond these nice little fact sheets that I gave you, there is a living, breathing, powerful being who wants to have an experience of you and you to have an experience of him and encourage people to move beyond the fact sheet and get to know the person. If you read the biography of a person, would that be enough for you to marry them? No. No. I know a lot of facts about this person, but I don't know this person. Okay? I'm not going to marry somebody I don't know. But that's what we do to the church. We give them God's biography. Here, go read this. And then we're like, don't you want to follow him? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, but I don't know him. And what did Jesus say at the at the... At the sheep and the goats, what did he say? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I what? Never. Yeah. I never knew you. Jesus cares about this. And he's alive and he's in this room right now. And he's crying out to every single one of us. Come know me. Come know me. It is a passionate desire in the heart of God that you 
personally know him. I told a story when I, I've told this story a bunch of times, but I told it when I preached at PK retreat most recently about this experience I had at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City where I was praying, I think it's Psalm 55, search me and know me, see if there be any wicked way in me. And I had this picture, this burning picture of Jesus where he says, hey, I know you. And he pulls his robe open and like to show me his heart. And he's like, I want you to know me. And I was so just bowled over by that, that I like fell out of my chair and I was laying in between the chairs and I was laying there and I was just totally caught up in this experience. And then I realized I was saying something, yelling it to the whole room. (laughs) He is the naked God. That's what I was yelling it repeatedly. He is the naked God. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> this what happened to me in that moment was that what was communicated to me was the deep desire of Jesus that I know him. And I began to search it out in scripture and guess what? The whole reason scripture exists is because we have a God who says, know me. Know me. And the more you know him, the more you'll love him. We need to be asking God to teach us to love him by letting us know him, to see him, experience him. I just want to pray that for you right now. Can we close our eyes? I want to echo the prayer of the Apostle Paul for every person in this room, including and especially myself. Teach us to love you. Teach us to love each other. Give us experiential knowledge of who you are. Something that goes beyond words, something that goes beyond understanding, beyond the working of a human mind. Pray for encounter. Encounter with the living God. That we would glimpse 
the uncreated. Let's finish this verse. Because we're almost out of time. So, in real knowledge, in epinosis, experiential knowledge that we would know God, that out of our experience of Him, that love would be born inside of us. But then he says, and all discernment. The word discernment means perception. I found in one commentary this phrase which cuts through hazy ethical moral matters to really size things up this is the only place in scripture where this word discernment is used so it's hard to we always like when you look at the original language it's really helpful to see the other places in scripture where that word was used so that you can kind of get all the dimensions of a word. Like the boundary lines of that word. Especially if that particular word is used multiple times by the same author. You get a real sense of what did Paul mean when he said discernment. Unfortunately, this one is only used one time. But the idea is to know who God is without confusion. To not be double-minded about who he is. To be confident in our knowledge of who he is. Love. So this is his prayer for them. That they would love, they would have love, born of experience and marked by clarity. Love, born of experience and marked by clarity. The Secret Service of the United States has two jobs. First is to protect the President of the United States. Okay? We know that one. Anybody that's seen any movie with the President? What's the second? Like counterfeit money. Exactly. Correct. They track down counterfeiters. So I like to say it like this. They they protect presidents both alive and dead. And the people whose job it is to spot counterfeits, okay, they're thoroughly and expertly trained. The way they are trained is very interesting to me, and that's why I bring it up. They are trained by knowing what actual official U.S. money looks like extremely well. They study every detail of the real thing. That's what they spend their time doing. They gain intimate experiential knowledge of what the real thing looks like. So that when a fake thing comes along, they instantly 
recognize it. Why? Oh, I know what the real thing looks like, and that's not it. I'm telling you that because that's part of what Paul is praying for. When he prays for discernment, what he's praying for is that we would have such clarity about who God is that when an idea comes across, flashes across the screen of our minds or out of the words of some teacher or whatever, that our internal alarm bells go off. That's not the real thing. Does that make sense? We would have solid and with clarity built into our hearts and our minds the character and the nature of God so that when something, when some idea, some theological idea, some idea about how the world works or how our brains or our bodies work or how when some idea comes across our screen, our internal system tries to match that to the picture of God and we're like, nope, no, that is not, that's not right. And we may, we will know it's not right before we know what's not right about it. You ever had that feeling? Hmm, I don't know about that. That's what Paul is praying for. That kind of knowledge. We would just, we would know Jesus. And here's the thing. That's what Jesus came to do. A lot of us think that the only reason Jesus came was to die for our sins. That is wrong. Jesus did come to die for our sins. Correct. Absolutely correct. Yes, he did. But that was just a part of his primary mission. See, dying for our sins was one way that he was doing what God the Father sent him to do. And that was to demonstrate physically, in front of our eyes, exactly who Abba Father is. And dying on the cross for our sins was his most dramatic demonstration of the reality of who our God is. Our God is a God who will go to any length, pay any price, pay any cost to restore you to who he created you to be because he loves you. The cross was Jesus' most vivid demonstration of the unstoppable love of Abba Father. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus came to do, to show us who God is. He walked around every day doing what God was doing, saying what God was saying, and then he died on the cross to do what God wanted to do and to say what God wanted to say. Amen. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you rest in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sure.
Shalom. Shalom.